is a 6-8 church, and what that means is uh, we are trying to be a church that follows Micah 6-8 as uh, kind of as our, our mission, our, our guideline, our, um, our way of doing things, is we want to be a church of people who, church of disciples who do justice, who love mercy, and walk humbly. And so we're trying to be that kind of church. And one way you can, you can help us out is by um, filling out the connection card in front of you. And for every first and second time visitor, we donate a pair of, of socks to Northwest Children's Outreach on your behalf and your honor. So uh, that, that helps us do justice in our community. So if you want to help us in that way, we would appreciate it. I've got a couple of announcements before we get into everything. And then, uh, then we'll get going this morning. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 12 while I'm talking, we'll be spending our, most of our time in Matthew 12. We have a few things coming up that we need, uh, need, your, need your attention on. First, we have this coming Thursday, so about four days from now, Chasing Supermom starts. So if you've expressed an interest, you want to be a part of that, then we need you to register for that so we can plan for you to be there. Um, and if you have questions about that, you can talk to my wife, Becky. She's sitting right there in the purple striped dress. I just like to point her out from time to time. Makes her feel real comfortable, real at ease and relaxed. Um, so anyway, there's... There's that coming up, the man cave tomorrow night, uh, Monday night football. Who's playing tomorrow night? Anyone know? Philadelphia and Indianapolis. Philadelphia and Indianapolis. So, boring game. <laughs> but, but you can come out and have some good fellowship anyway. Um, so, that's tomorrow night, every Monday night for Monday night football. So, guys, if you like football, come on out and join us for Monday night football in the man cave. Next Thursday, we're starting Financial Peace University, and today, after the service, we're going to have a little screening of the, of the course right here in the sanctuary. So if you've expressed, expressed an interest, which a bunch of you did last week, um, make sure you stick around after the service today. Or if you're interested, this is the first time you're hearing about it, make sure on your connection card you circle F for Financial Peace University. On the back, there's a, a list of, of letters of the alphabet. Make sure you circle F for Financial Peace University. And then next Friday night, we have Parents' Night Out. So if you have uh, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors who, who have kids and can use a free night of child care to get out of the house, then please invite them to come and share with us uh, uh, their kids and their time with us on that Friday, and then they can go out and have dinner and a movie or dessert or do laundry or sleep, whatever they need to do. Um, they can do that for four hours on next Friday night. And then um, one more thing. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else. There probably is. Baptisms next Sunday. We're going to talk about that off and on throughout the morning. But we're going to be doing baptisms next Sunday. So if you have an interest in being baptized, if you want to make that public profession of your faith, if you want to stand up in front of this body and invite your family and your friends and stand up in front of them and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith in him. I'm committing my life to following him. Uh, then next Sunday would be your opportunity to do that. Um, and you'll hear more about that throughout the day today. Is that it? Did I forget anything? Good. So, um, next week... We're going to be doing baptisms, 
But it's also going to be what we're calling, what we call Vision Sunday, where we're going to talk about all the stuff that's coming up in the next uh, six months here at 6-8 Church and kind of the direction we're headed. And I'm very excited to share that with you, so you'll want to make sure to be a part of that. And of course, a huge part of our vision is baptizing people like Jesus told us to do to baptize people into the kingdom, baptize them as disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's right from the Great Commission where we get our, our driving passion as a church to make disciples. So it's a, it's a huge part of our vision. Hope you'll be here to celebrate that with us next week. Well, today um, I'm gonna, I need to just uh, ask your patience as I, as I work through this. I have a lot I want to say. Oh. And um, not nearly enough time to say it all, but yes. There is one more thing, I just remembered it, and um, that is we have a unique opportunity, one uh, that, that we haven't experienced before. Um, you may not know this, I'll take just a minute to explain it, but uh, this is an older building built in the uh, early 70s, I think it was finished in 1971, 1972, and so um, just uh, a couple of months ago we had some HVAC guys, some heating and cooling guys come through and kind of assess our, uh, our heating and cooling situation, and about half of our units are broken. And so um, they haven't been maintained properly. We haven't kept up on all of that over the last several years. So we've got some catch-up work to do um, in that regards. But the opportunity is somebody stepped forward, asked to remain anonymous, so I will, I will honor that wish. But they offered to do a matching gift for anything that we raise as a church towards, uh, towards repairing our, our air conditioning units that that are broken. So next Sunday, we're just going to be, we're going to do this one time. We're not going to do a big, long, drawn out uh, push for, for people to give money. Next Sunday, we're going to just take an extra offering for that. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, if you have a dollar to give, well, then it's like you're giving $2. If you have $50 to give, then it's like you're giving $100. And uh, let's, uh, let's see what we can do next week to kind of meet this need that we're faced with as a church and uh, be good stewards of the facility that God has given us. So... All right. Okay. Well, this morning, like I said, we're digging into a topic. There's uh, a lot that can be said about this one topic, and we're going to spend the next kind of two weeks talking about it and to kind of finish it up next week. But we're going to talk about the heart, the heart of man. And um, I, really, I really wanted to talk about this because there's some things that I've noticed about, uh, about us as people, us as human beings, is that, is that we have some tendencies 
um, that, that I don't think are healthy. And um, I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm stopping and thinking about, you know, maybe mistakes that I've made or I'm thinking about areas I need to improve in my life, areas that, I've, that I'm not up where I need to be, there's, there's this external person that I am where I can put on a, a certain kind of show, a certain kind of performance. I can act a certain way and help everyone around me think that everything is okay. But then there's this inner person, there's this inner man that I have that, that I struggle with that knows everything's not okay. And we, we have a tendency, I think, for a lot of us to put on a lot of things on the outside to cover up the things that aren't working on the inside. And as I was thinking about that, we started doing some digging, and Jim helped, and uh, Kenan helped, and we just kind of dug into some of the passages that talk about the heart. And um, we have far too many to cover this morning, so I'm just going to focus on a few of them, and uh, who knows what's going to happen by the time we're done. We'll see how far we get. But when you, when you stop and think about the heart, what do you think of? What is it that comes to mind when you think about the heart? Emotion. <laughs> Desperately wicked, good one. When you think about your heart or the heart, the human heart, what comes to mind? Life, did I hear life? Heard something in this area, I think. Vital organ, yeah. Blood, yeah. Heart attacks, cholesterol, things like that. Well, one of the things that, uh, that I hope we can kind of define this morning is really define what, what the heart is. And so to do that, uh, we don't want to necessarily go to the world's definition of heart. We want to look at at how the Bible defines heart and how those who are, are familiar with the Bible have defined it. And this comes from um, the, the Strong's Concordance. If you don't know that, that's, a, that's a, kind of like a dictionary of Bible terms. You, you can go and find all the verses where if you don't have a good tool, you can go do this on BibleStudyTools.com. Um, you can go and you can look up a verse and then you can click on one of the words and you can see all the places in the Bible where that verse is used and then you can get a good understanding of that plus it gives you a definition. Well, Strong's defines heart this way. It says, the effective center of our being and the capacity of moral preference. The effective center of our being. So we're talking about heart as the Bible talks about heart. The effective center of our being and the capacity for moral preference. Volitional desire, choice, desire producer that makes us tick. In other words, our uh, desire decisions that establish who we really are. So we make these decisions based on desires that we have, and that is the person that we, that we become. And those decisions, that desire is birthed in our heart. It starts on a part of us that, uh, that is very deep within our being. So that's the heart. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the word heart is used all over the place in a lot of different ways. It's obviously, like we've talked about, it's used as your physical heart. It talks about, you know, the beating of your heart. When you, when you watch a TV show, you could, be, you could be watching a medical TV show, and they're talking about your heart, or you can be watching um, a drama show, and they're talking about your emotions. You could be watching um, a... Uh, uh, a, what are a mystery, and they could be talking about your motives, about this person's motives 
for why they acted in this certain way. And so we see the word heart kind of spread thin in terms of what it actually means. And so we need to get to a really good understanding, a good biblical definition of what heart is. And so for, for what we're going to talk about today, we're talking about the heart, the, the inner person, the thing that drives us to become who we are. But to get a good understanding of heart, we have to go way back, way, 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 way back to the very beginning of the Bible into Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a lot to you to this morning, so uh, stick with me, but uh, I want to make sure we get a good, good context for all of this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, and we've talked a lot in the past about how one of the ways Satan or the enemy will, will get in our face and messes up is he'll start to question the things that God says. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from him, from the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. You can already see the change in his heart. The woman you put here with me, she gave, some, gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. When the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Already with this different kind of heart, it's all about pushing blame off on someone else. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we can see here in one, in one short chapter, everything changed. Everything went from being uh, literally perfect. Everything went from, from paradise to becoming this place where we're blame shifting and now we're living under a curse. And you don't have to go very far to see how the curse plays out and to see the real state of our hearts 
after we have fallen. After, after Adam and Eve ate of the tree, then they had some kids, Cain and Abel. And right, uh, just a few verses later in chapter 4, we see that, uh, that Cain allows that, that passion within his heart to become something that, that leads him to murder his brother. So the offspring, the children of Adam and Eve, the, the ones who were in the garden, who had the perfect life, their children that they, that they raised, and they raised into men, shortly after they became men, one of them killed the other. That's the state of the heart. Ever since then, our heart has been driving us to do evil. Our heart has been pushing us in the wrong way. Now, I know there are probably some arguments. Some of us have been trained. Some of us have been taught differently that, that uh, as humans, we're kind of born and we're good. Our, our general desire, our general, um, our general motivation is for good things. We want, we want to try to be good. And um, while there are some of those things that come out of our lives, if you've had kids, you know that our, our internal motivations are always for ourselves. That since the fall, that, that it doesn't take very long to see in your little precious, beloved children that you raise from birth, one of the first words they learn is mine. They start um, fighting with their other brothers and sisters over toys. They uh, fight for a position in the family. They body check their little siblings. Not that this happens in our house, but they body check their little siblings to get to something that they want. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is from Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond, beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Only God can truly understand our hearts. So now we've, we've kind of established the beginning. We've, we've established the very initial part of how the heart kind of took its turn and became this thing that drives us to want to fight for ourselves and to do whatever we need to do to get whatever we want to get. But then there's this whole uh, thousands of years history that happens between Adam and Eve and between when Jesus comes and starts to bring restoration. And one of the things that we see that happened in the entire Old Testament was that there was a, a drive to, to do outward things, to do performance-based things, to put on a show, so to speak, to, to act righteous so that we could try to earn grace, to act a certain way, to behave according to a certain code of conduct so that we could hopefully earn our way into the kingdom of God. And that's what existed. That was the habit. That was the pattern. That was the way of thinking for thousands of years. And then this guy, Jesus, comes along, and everything starts to change. He comes, and he talks to uh, the group called the Pharisees. And this is what he says to the group called the Pharisees. This is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 to 28. He says, woe to you. That's not a good thing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. 
In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. On the outside you look righteous, on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Charles Spurgeon said, um, As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Sounds kind of hopeless, right? It kind of sounds like, why did I come to church this morning? And the truth to that question, the truth to that feeling is, you are absolutely right. It is hopeless. That is where we'll be finishing today. (laughs) See you next Sunday. No. It is hopeless. Maybe Maybe an illustration will help. I was trying to think of a way to to really help you see what, what I'm talking about. So uh, we're just we're going to use some clothes. Um, I just picked some random clothes that I could get on over top of other clothes. So uh, don't, don't critique my style based on what you're about to see in a few minutes. Um, but so to kind of give you a, an understanding, an illustration of... Uh-oh. It's coming apart. Of, of who we are... This is a shirt um, Becky got a long time ago for free. It says, get baked on the back. It says, high on antioxidants. That's a picture of a baked potato. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been well worn, you can see. But as we, as we are born, this shirt could kind of Um, illustrate who we are. We are born with a nature that has a desire to get baked, and I'm going to let you interpret that however you want. (laughs) But we're born with this, with this, with this sin nature. We're born with this, with this heart that leads us to want to, uh, to do evil things. Now, um, not all of the things that we have a desire to do are inherent at birth. Some of them are. Um, I haven't yet had to teach one of my kids to lie, and somehow they figure out how to do that on their own. So there are some things that I think are, are inherent to us as fallen individuals. But then there are other things that we obviously learn throughout life, like you, you cannot learn how to uh, swindle someone without, uh, without getting some experience or some training that way. So um, there, are, there are other forms of evil that we learn. But, but in general, this is kind of our nature. We're, we're covered in sin. We are, we are covered in a fallen, falling apart, broken human condition. And so as we kind of go, as we kind of go throughout life, I'm missing something. Oh, well. As we, as we kind of go throughout life, we, we, we learn some other bad behaviors. I'm not making any statements here. This is just things that are easy to put on. So don't think that I mean if you wear a toboggan, you're evil. (laughs) 
But so we, we kind of adopt and adapt certain behaviors that, that are counter to, to, you know, the restored version of us that, that Christ came to redeem. And so um, I had a glove. I was going to wear my one glove like Michael Jackson, but I must have left it back in my office. So um, you'll be disappointed, I'm sure. But um, we, we put on these traits and behaviors that, that kind of, that, that are our sin nature, so to speak, our, our fallen nature. And then maybe we come in contact with the gospel or maybe we just come in contact with some Christians who are, uh, who are living a better life than we want to live. And, and so we say we want, we want some of that. But often what happens is instead of, instead of taking off, laying down the sin nature, we, we put on the habits of religious and religion, religious behaviors, and just try to cover it up. So we put on the practice of going to church and try to uh, make ourselves look a little bit better, but uh, that's not quite enough. So um, I've got to put on my joy tie. Look a little bit, look a little more. Ah, it got twisted. I know how to tie a tie. Don't worry. I know you're getting nervous. Is he going to do it? This tie used to play music. There we go. So we, uh, so we put on the tie, you know, oh, it kind of covers a little bit more. It's still kind of peeking through there a little bit. So we, we, we find other, <coughs> other religious... <coughs> this is the only time you'll see me wear a scarf. The other religious activities that, that kind of try to cover up some of our, our sin nature, our, 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 our way of, of living. But see, their sleeves are still showing, so it's not quite good enough. Yeah. We really need to get the air conditioning working. Yeah. Am I covered now? You see anything yet? There we go. So we adopt all of these religious activities. We, uh, we go to church. We may even start reading our Bible a little bit and, and uh, giving some money, maybe working at the food pantry and serving and some other various ways, taking care of those who need, who need work and need help. And, and we think that we have effectively gotten rid of our sin nature because we have hidden it all. We have basically become a Pharisee because we've done enough religious activity to cover up the things that are really deep down within us, but you all know, because you were standing here, what's still underneath. So you all know that I'm just hiding this shirt. It's still there. That, that desire, that, that passion that I, that I had for all of the evil things, all of the... Why are people sending pictures? <laughs> They're sending pictures of me to my wife. Um, <laughs> we know, though, that, that it's all still there. We've just, we've just covered it up. 
And so that question that I asked early on is still there. You know, it's that question that you've maybe heard before. Who are you when no one is looking? Who are you when no one is around? You know, when, when we're talking in here on Sunday mornings and God is kind of speaking to your heart and he's kind of speaking to a part of you that, uh, that doesn't exist to anyone but you, this is the part that God is talking to. So I think sometimes what we need to do is to, is to even pull a Mr. Rogers and shed some of the layers of, of religion and get down to the heart of the matter. What's really underneath all of this stuff is still down here at the bottom. There's a desire and a, and, a, and a passion to do what's wrong. So what do we do? What do we do if, if this doesn't work? Well, let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. The only way to, to really get to the heart of the matter, the literal heart of the matter that we're talking about, is not to, to clothe ourselves with more religious behavior and more religious activities and more, more things that we think are going to make us appear holy to the world around us. The only way to really solve the problem is to make the tree good. The only way to fix the problem of a broken heart, the only way to fix the problem of a heart that is still twisted towards sin and twisted towards the evil of this world is to allow God to put a new spirit in us. Ezekiel Chapter 3, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. The, the way to stop the, the, the pattern and, the, and the, continuing, the continuously repeating pattern of, of struggling with, with our flesh and then putting on some religious activities to try to defeat that and then kind of coming back to struggling with our flesh and then to try to put some more religious activities to defeat those struggles is to come back to the very beginning and fix what's inside. God is speaking. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And this is what the gospel is all about. This is why Jesus Christ came to die. This is where we find ourselves now thousands of years later after the beginning of this story 
kind of standing and, and looking at the cross. We're standing and looking at, at the only answer to our condition. The only answer to fix what is permanently broken is the power of the cross. The only, the only answer for us to find this new life that we all hope to have is not in how good we can be on our own, how much we think that we can do to deserve and earn the grace of Jesus Christ. The only way that we, we get this amazing gift is to come back to the very beginning and surrender. It's to come back to the very beginning and just lay it all down. So we, we take it off. We hang it up. And that's the end of the story. Everyone lived happily ever after. Not quite. Romans chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. When we're born, we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to our sinful nature. We, we are born with this desire to do the things that, that we don't want to do. This is Paul speaking. Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament wrote those letters to the churches. I do not understand what I do, he says. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that the, the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, my sinful nature. This is Paul talking about his own sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. That's what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So, I find this at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself in my mind as a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Here's Paul, this guy that, that we understand is largely responsible for the existence of the church outside of Jerusalem. He was the first missionary that went and traveled abroad and planted churches and, 
and he, he got all of these churches going in different parts of the world, and, and he was you know, primarily responsible for the, for the spread of the gospel into Europe, which led to the spread of the gospel to America. So we have Paul to thank for the fact that we have a church here today. Here's Paul, this patriarch, this what, uh, what's holier than probably most of us will ever, uh, ever become, ever be in our entire life. There's this guy, Paul, and he's saying, what I don't want to do, I do, and what I want to do, I can't do. And here is the condition we find ourselves in. We are right with Paul that we live um, in a world where maybe we have received grace. Maybe you haven't taken that step yet and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have not yet received that grace of the cross. But for those of us who believe in him as our Savior, put our faith in him and trust in him as our, as our Savior, we've, we've received this free gift of grace. We've received this gift of Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf and paying the price for our sins, all of the junk that we did before, past, present, and future. Wait, what? Why would, why would Jesus need to die for our future sins if once we put our faith in him, we're holy? It's because until we are fully redeemed at the day of our salvation. Remember, Paul has talked before about the true day of our salvation comes when, when we are in the presence of God. That is, that's the culmination. That's the end of our, our journey towards salvation. That's, that's where we finally receive the ultimate complete gift of salvation. Until that day, we are living in a process of what we call sanctification. Sanctification is a big word. It's a church word. Uh, but, but what that means is, is going, from, uh, going through a process of shedding off the old and, and putting on the new. So sanctification, we are becoming less and less like our sinful self and becoming more and more like the Christ who died for us. John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying. This is right, um, right before our right before the prayer we shared last week of Jesus praying for us as a church. Jesus says, talking to the Father, says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So here, just before Jesus is going to go to the cross and die, he's praying a prayer for his disciples, for his followers, that they would be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. Well then, what is the word and how do we be sanctified by it? For one, this is the word. This, this thing that, that, we, that we read from every week called the Bible written by 40 different authors over thousands of years. This is the Word of God. And so it is by continually putting ourselves in this book 
that we will have the tools for sanctification. But at the beginning of the book of John, which we just read from, there's also this passage where John is talking about Jesus. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So while, yes, we talk about this being the Word, the ultimate Word is Jesus Christ. The ultimate source of our sanctification is Jesus Christ. And so what happens in the process of shedding off the old man and kind of putting the old man behind us and pursuing the new man in front of us, that of Jesus Christ, is that through the process of digesting the scriptures, of digesting the Bible, and, and becoming really familiar with, with what God says, how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be motivated, how we're supposed to be driven, we become process, we become uh, through the process of reading that more and more like Christ. But it's not just by by pursuing the word and pursuing the commandments that are in here, because if we do that, then we just become the Pharisees. If we just pursue the commands and try to obey the commands and try to only do what this says without changing our heart and the motive and the passion that is driving us to become like Christ, we aren't any different than who Jesus came and condemned while he was on the earth. It's not just our actions, it's our desires that are within us that have to change. It's not good enough to come to church and put on the show of a Christian. We have to have our desires changed to become more like Christ. And I'm afraid that, that maybe many of us have just tried to put on the work of, of the Scripture, put on the rules and put on the coat and cover up what was never changed. The only way to change is surrender. The only way to find salvation is to stop trying to get it. You see, we can't, we can't receive salvation by working hard enough to get there. We can't do enough to earn the cross. We can't do enough to, to work our way towards an eternity with Jesus. It's not possible. So while, yes, we need to be sanctified by the word, which is this thing here, we also need to be sanctified by the Word. We need to allow our pursuits to change from those desires that are all about me, all about myself, all about protecting what I have, all of those, all of those internal longings that are about getting what I can get from me. We need to allow those to be changed by the Word and by the Word so that we can become more and more, and more like Christ so our desires become his desires, so our passions become his passions, so, so our burdens become what he wants us to be burdened for, and not, not the burdens of the old world, but the burdens of the new world. The burdens of the old world are all about providing for myself and getting as much as I can for myself and, and, and storing up and stockpiling, getting everything I can to make my, my presence, my, my people around me think that I have succeeded. The new world is about forgetting all of that and just how can I become more like Christ? The old world is, is, there are all these desires, there are these things that I just like. There are all these things that I love. I just, I can't see myself laying down those things. And, and certainly a God who loves me wouldn't want me to lay those things down. Well, but here's the thing. A God who loves you has a much better plan for you than all of these things of the world. The God who loves you sees much better, a much better future and a much better plan for your life than you can see for yourself. And it's by laying that down and surrender and say, you know what? I'm just going to trust you that you have a better plan for me. 
and going after it. See, we have to start with an admission. We have to start with this, this confession that I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. It's not popular to say that anymore. I'm a sinner. I've, I've committed these sins. I am responsible for these things. And now I see that there's no way through my own works, through my own abilities, that I can put on enough clothes to cover up that sin. It is only by having a Savior that I have any hope. But it starts with surrender. And then we look to the cross and we believe that there's this Man who was fully man and fully God who came and he died a death on the cross after having lived a perfect and sinless life. And, and he came from the Father full of grace and truth. He came with love in his heart. And he's the only one who ever really had love in his heart. And as we've talked about many times, Jesus Christ, he came and he laid himself down and he humbled himself and he became obedient to death on a cross for us. So we have to admit and confess that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. And then we have to commit to spending the rest of our life every day Pursuing that word. We won't be perfect at it. The old self will creep in, and, and what we don't want to do, we will find ourselves doing. And what we want to do, we can't seem to get ourselves to do. And we'll have this continual struggle until we finally get to the other side, till we finally get to where we're in the presence of Jesus Christ, and we are finally made complete, and he, we finally see him face to face because now we just see him dimly. We see him through a cloudy mirror, but eventually we're going to see him face to face, and everything, face to face, and everything's going to be clear. Everything's going to make sense. It's all going to be perfect, and all of the old will be gone and all of the new will be here. But we have to commit to following him. We have to commit to laying down what was and going after what is and will be. So, how's your heart? How is that part of you that you don't ever talk to anyone about doing this morning? What if it suddenly became impossible to cover up all of the junk from the old life and all of a sudden everyone could see all of our flaws? What if all of a sudden people could see who we really are beneath all of the clothing of religion? The jewel of joy is given to the impoverished spirits, not the affluent. God's delight is received upon surrender, not awarded upon conquest. The first step of, to joy is a plea for help. 
an acknowledgement of moral destitution, an admission of inward weakness. Those who taste God's presence have declared spiritual bankruptcy and are aware of their spiritual crisis. Their cupboards are bare. Their pockets are empty. Their options are gone. They have long since stopped demanding justice and are pleading for mercy. They don't brag. They beg. It's Max Lucado. So I guess my question to us this morning as we end is, are we bragging about how good we are or are we begging for more of God? Do we find ourselves, I'm not talking about just bragging to other people, but, you know, in your heart. Do you find yourselves bragging about, I am, I am good. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. I am a good person. Do we find ourselves bragging about how well we follow Jesus Christ? Do we find ourselves bragging about how well we keep all the commands of the Bible? Do we find ourselves bragging about how we are better than others? Or are we begging for God's mercy? Are we begging for more of his presence in our life? Are we begging for more of his influence in our daily decisions? Are we begging for more of him on an hourly, minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis because we just don't have enough? Are you a bragger or are you a beggar? It's a question we all need to answer. It's a question we all need to dwell on. It's a question we all need to, to dig deep on into the deep recesses of our being. We need to understand if we're bragging about how religious we are or we're begging for more of God in our life. Are you a bragger or a beggar? The reason we're talking about this today is because we're going to have a baptism service next week. And I just have to believe that there are some of us gathered here together in this room right here at this very moment who, who have never made that decision to, to put their faith in Jesus Christ and, and be buried with him in his death and raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. We haven't really, we haven't really put to death the old man. We still want to, we want to pull him up out of the water with the new man and see how much of each we can keep. Next week, we're going to be celebrating baptism, which is exactly that. It's, it's being buried with him through baptism and raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of what happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we are buried with him in his death and, and his death, which put to death death and sin. His death, which put to death the fear of the greatest fear that we have. His death put all of that to rest permanently. And then we're raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. But it is not by what we do. It is not by how good we can be or how good we can become that we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's only through the grace that we are raised to that new life in Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered? Or is your heart still clinging on to, I got to do it my way? So the band's going to come. We are going to close. And 
I'm going to give you a chance to respond today. You'll have a chance to respond next week. But here's the thing that I, that I hope for you. It's, I hope you understand that I, I don't want to see people come to Christ because it makes me feel good about myself. Yes, it does make me feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do when people commit their lives to him. Yes, I get, I get joy out of that. But my deepest desire, our deepest desire as a church, our deepest desire for, for everyone who ever walks through these doors is that they get to take that step toward real joy. That they get to see Jesus for who he really is and they get to find the Christ who died on the cross for their sins, who was buried and raised, conquering death, hell, and the grave. That's what I, that's what I want, is that, that you find that, that you find that joy. So I will be in the back. We'll have some men and women kind of scattered around the sanctuary. Maybe we'll have some up on the walls. If uh, some of you can come up on the walls and stand up towards the front, and I'll be in the back. If you want to pray, if you want to know more about what it means to, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to allow God to change your heart and, and to change your heart of stone to, to a beating heart of life. If you want to know more about that, you can talk to me. You can talk to some of the men and women who will be standing around the room. If you're not ready, then maybe over the course of the next week, you can, you can pray about it and just ask God to show himself to you and, and to reveal himself to you and to, and to help you gain an understanding if, if all of this stuff is true. And you can come back next week and, and you'll have the same opportunity next week to once again surrender your life and take up the cross we've been called to bear in following Jesus Christ. But wherever you are, even if you've already made that decision, we've all probably strayed and drifted towards religion. We've all probably strayed and drifted towards wanting to put on a show to cover up what is underneath, and we don't really want to make peace with what is underneath. We just kind of want to cover it up and, and accept it. And so all of us, whether, whether you know, new or old believer, if you've been a believer for, for two days or for two decades, then we all need to have a heart check this morning. We all need to come back to that place where we understand that it is only by laying down and surrendering our hearts and following Jesus Christ daily on a day-to-day basis that we find Jesus Christ. So as we go through this time of worship, I would ask you to just look at the cross and see what Jesus did for you and, and then check your heart and see if there's something you need to take off something you need to lay down and surrender. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that in the midst of all of my imperfections and all of my shortcomings and all of my failures, I still look like the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Not because I could ever do anything to be righteous, not because I could ever do anything to look to you like I need to look, but because you see me through your son. You see me as an heir to the throne. You see me as a child. You see me as one of your own. You have adopted me into your kingdom. And it's all because of your son, all because of grace. Father, I thank you for that. And I just ask if 
any of us in this room have forgotten that, that you would remind us, that you would once again reveal to us that grace, that we would see that amazing grace, and that our lives would be transformed again into the likeness of your Son, and that you would fill us with your Spirit to live according to your Word, according to the things you've called us to live, that you'd fill us with the Spirit to be empowered to do the things that you've called us to do and to follow you more every day, and just give us a new passion, a new desire for that walk, for that relationship with you that we didn't have when we walked in here this morning, and send us out of here in a few minutes on fire, ready to live like you and the world around us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see what it means to surrender. Help us to see what it means to lay our lives down, to see what it means to to stop trying so hard to be someone and to just allow you to be in us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.